Last week we were using a, looking at a fancy word called theodicy, trying to understand the presence of evil in light of an uh, omnipotent, loving God and how that goes. And I offered some considerations for us to consider in why the world's kind of in the state it is in, in such a sad state of the world. We talked a little bit about human responsibility, kind of the brokenness of a fallen world and the far-reaching effects of sin. And then the effects and consequences of sin, both our own and those of others, as we kind of look at being splashed on and the splash on of sin. And then this kind of trajectory we see the world on as it distances itself from God, ever moving away from God further and further and further. Let me just say, certainly the considerations I offered last week were not an exhaustive a list of all the possible considerations that we could look at. You know, we didn't even talk about the role that Satan plays in this world and how he acts in this world because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that uh, that he's the God of this world and that he's at enmity with us. He's our enemy and he's seeking those who he can destroy. And so apparently God has freed Satan in our world to take action as well in our world. And so there's other things to consider and not to go into them. What I'd want to remind us is though, when we look at that situation, when we look at the messed up of the world, we're kind of like this. We're not Bob Ross. We're kind of like the painting. You know, as beautiful as the painting may be and as intricate as it is and as detailed as it is and as magnificent as a painting may be, a painting's always just two-dimensional. It's, it's a flat canvas and two-dimensional. And it will never be able to completely grasp its creator. As the painting is to the artist trying to understand it, no matter how wonderful it is, we're always less than our creator. Uh, we're always kind of two-dimensional. No matter how intricate we are, how magnificent we think we are, no matter how complex our brain is, we're always much less than the Creator who made us. And us trying to understand God and how the things of God works is much like the painting trying to grasp the painter and understand it. And just face it, we can't understand Bob Ross. So the, certainly the painting can't understand him. Um, so anyway, it's always good just to remind ourselves in these ideas for us to put ourselves in the right perspective of just who God is and where we fit in that, that scheme of things. But at the end of the day, there is evil and evil is the source of much suffering. And I think the thing that we should probably concentrate on more than the, than the why it is, is the what of it is. Because I believe God's uh, omnipotence and his sovereignty is displayed more in his ability uh, to, to use good for his advancement, to, to turn good out of evil and suffering, than to explain why it's there. I think he shows his greater power by overcoming the evil that is in the world. Uh, when I used to, you know, I used to be a, a, a carver, or I still am a carver, but I used to do a lot of carving with, with the students, with the kids I worked with in camp. And, and my number one lesson was, you know, how to cover your mistakes. A good carver isn't one who never makes mistakes. It's the one who's able to incorporate the mistakes he makes in the wood so that you never notice them. That really shows a high level of skill when you can mess up in a carving and still craft it into it so that it disappears and no one recognizes it. And I think God's 
uh, awesome ability, his his uh, omnipotence and his sovereignty is displayed in how he takes suffering and evil and those things that we see as mistakes and weaves them into a tapestry for good that we no longer even see the bad that happens. So what is God going to accomplish through evil What is my reaction in the presence of suffering? And what encouragement do we have to live in this messed up world is some of the things I'd like to cover uh, today and in a week or two to come. If you're looking in your Bible at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you're in the wrong place. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And it's not Debbie's fault, even though she's raising her hand. Um, I told her wrong at the beginning of the week, and it wasn't until Friday that I found out the, my mistake. So you're off the hook there, Deb. Second Corinthians chapter 1, starting with verse 3. Before we read this, let me point out to you, those who are reading along, and those of you who take notes and mark your Bible, there's four so-that's in this passage. And it's those so-that's that we're going to focus on today. So you might want to mark them or at least recognize the so-that's as we read the Scripture. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundance through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our suffering, so also you are sharers of our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction, which came to us in Asia, That we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we would, so that we would despair even for life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. We, he delivered us from so great a peril and he will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope and he will yet deliver us. You also joining and helping us through your prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. The main point of today's sermon is what good can God accomplish or or to look at the good God can accomplish through suffering and through evil. But I have some planned rabbit trails in the sermon today. I don't want you to miss the the main point that we're looking at the good God can accomplish through suffering and evil. But a rabbit trail is something that relates to the main point, but it's not really the main point. And so we're here at rabbit one. I want to point out a part of the verse. How many of you have ever heard God won't give you more than you can handle? Has any of you ever said that? Well, it's not in the Bible. Uh, the, the, the verse that comes close to that, it says that God won't let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. But with each temptation, we'll provide a way of escape so that we don't give in to sin. 
But when it comes, but most people use this to reference the suffering and the hurt of this world and that God won't let us endure, suffer beyond what we can. And that's just not in the Bible because I want you to look what Paul said. He said, I don't want you to be aware of the sufferings that we had in, in Asia, that we were burdened, what? Excessively beyond our strength. So what's Paul admitting? We're beyond what we can bear excessively beyond it's not just beyond it's way beyond what we can bear so that we despaired there's the first so that by the way so that we despaired even for life that paul had come to the end of himself and so when you're in those situations and you go god won't you know you start passing that around as biblical knowledge my little rabbit trail is don't tell people that because the bible doesn't say that that God are situations that are beyond our ability. But there's a reason for that, and we'll get to that in just a moment. Because we remember that God can make good come from our suffering. And the first point of that, the first good I think God accomplishes through evil and from our suffering is that He equips us, or equipped, He, you are equipped to comfort others by God. God can take something we see as bad and use it for good. And the main part of that is he's equipping us for his service. It's there in verse 4. Who comforts us in our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. The good news about the suffering that we do is that God is equipping us for service. That God can use the suffering the things that we endure, those bad days we have, he can use those and wants to use those so that we can serve others in his name. He who comforts us in our affliction so that we will be able to comfort others. God wants us to help others. And so we need to be equipped. And he wants us to help others in their darkest days. And we need to be equipped to do that. In John chapter 14, verses 26, it says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. And so for us to be able to comfort others, we first must receive comfort ourselves. And one of the ways we receive comfort is through Christ himself, through the presence of God in our lives, through the Holy Spirit. And so we need to receive the help that God gives us. The Helper is there to comfort us and guide us and teach us his word. And so we receive comfort by the word of God. Both the living word, which is Jesus, that Jesus is in our example and that he's our presence. And so we receive comfort by following Jesus, seeing how Jesus lived in this world, seeing how he endured suffering and seeing the good he came from his suffering. We also receive comfort through the written word, the Bible, that the Bible is there to comfort us. In Psalm 119, verse 76, it says, Oh, your loving kindness, comfort me according to your word to your servant. That is through the word we find out that Jesus loves us. That Jesus says, cast all your anxiety on me because I care for you. It's through his word that we find out God is up to something good. That we should consider it uh, joy for the various trials. That the, the word, both the living word of Jesus and the written word of the Bible are there to help us receive the comfort God wants us to have. So that we have something to give to others. Our kid note points out, God helps us through Jesus' example and the Bible's instructions. And that's one of the 
two main ways that we ourselves receive comfort. Now, once we've received comfort, what should we do? Remember the old song? Pass it on. That God comforts us so that we can comfort others. We receive our comfort through the Word, through Jesus' example, and through the Word and instruction of the Bible. Then we pass that on to others, both in word and in deed. Passing the Word on to them and in services and ministries. Later on in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 26, it says, uh, verse 6 of chapter 7, it says this. But God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort which you, which he was comforted in you, as he reported to you your longings and your mournings, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice even more. Later in this very book, Titus and Paul are experiencing what he's saying here in verse chapter one. Paul is suffering. Titus shows up. He's been comforted by people back home in the ministry. He shows up with Paul who's depressed and suffering, despairing for life, and comforts him in that place. What I want you to see is you have, we have, when we in very, when we encounter suffering ourselves, when we receive comfort from one and other people and from the word and from the Lord, and when we minister, we have something to take to somebody else. We can be Titus. We can show up in someone's bad situation and be a comfort to them because we first received comfort. Probably the most kind of down-to-earth application of this is to think about what is it that you're being equipped to serve? Where are you being equipped to minister? Because of the fact of the matter is there's a lot of ministry and there's a lot of suffering and there's a lot of people who needs comforting. And I can't do it all. I'm not equipped to do it all. I'll be honest with you. I've never had cancer. And I'm not the best equipped person to minister with somebody who has that. But some of you have. Some of you know how. And, and God can use that to minister to people in a real way. Because you can sit down and say, I know how you feel. I have been through divorce. I'm the child who's been to that. And, and I can sit down with someone who's had that experience in their life and say, I know how you feel. I've been there. Miscarriage, wayward children, death, loss, loss of a job, unemployment, whatever it may be, the sufferings of our life. God can, the amazing thing about our God is he can take these horrible things that we've endured and he can comfort us and see us through those. And then we can go and comfort others. That God's equipping you for a very special ministry that you can walk into someone's life like Titus walked into Paul's life and be Titus. Show up with the moment and say, I want to give to you the comfort I've received. Both from the living example of Christ, through the word of the Bible, and through the ministry of my brothers and sisters. And I'm going to pass it on to you. Because I've been comforted in such a way and I want to pass that comfort on. And all that devastation that our enemy or the circumstances or the evil of this world who sought to bring you down, God has just now turned it into someone else's miracle. Can you imagine? In those moments when we're suffering, we never really think this can be a miracle. 
But when you sit down with someone and say, you look them in the eye and they know that they know and that you know, I know how you feel. I've been where you've walked. I have made it through. A miracle takes place. And so God's equipping us each and every one for very special places of service. To be someone Titus in the moment of death when he walked into Paul's life and said, Receive comfort, my brother. The second good that God can bring out of suffering is reliance and return to God. Verse 8 says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired for life. Indeed, verse 9, Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. That God uses the suffering and the evil of this world to often turn us back to God or return to God. Not that we've strayed from him, but that we just need to be reminded to go back to God and go back to God and go back to God. I, I think even Paul probably experienced this. You know, sometimes we, we get right with God and everything's going well and we're just kind of living life and, and everything's moving along. And then all of a sudden we hit that brick wall and we go, oh, didn't see that coming. I need to get back close to God again. And that's God uses even for believers, even for his children, that he uses these things to draw us back. And I remind you that Christians, we ourselves, disciples, we need to constantly preach the gospel to others. But we should probably wake up every morning and preach it to ourselves. That we need to keep relying on God, keep relying on God each and every day, returning to God over and over and over. It's like the little kid in the the big mall. I used to remember going shopping with my mom back in the day when kids could run around in the store, you know, and the favorite place to do was they'd have those round clothes racks, you know, and you get up in the middle of those things and you hide, you know, and you're playing hide and seek with mom. Giving her a heart attack and all that kind of stuff. But most kids do that. They'll run and they'll play. And then every so often, they run and check in. Here I am. And then they run off. And then they come back. Here I am. And they run off. And kids have this kind of natural need to, to check in on mom. And mom feels good, you know. And the moms have that kind of little meter, you know. It's like they come every 37 seconds, you know. And they just kind of know that. And when it hits 43 seconds, I go, wait a second, he's not been here. Where's he at? Where are you at, Jason? And then you run and check in. We need to go check in with God and telling ourselves of the gospel. And, and these, these moments in our lives keep us reliant and returning to God over and over. I make known to you, brothers, the gospel which I preach to you, which you also reserved and which I also stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast the word which I preach to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. And He was buried, and He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and He appeared to many. The Gospel, to remind ourselves, God has overcome this world. That all the evening and suffering that God cares, and God uses it for my good, And I can trust a God who is so powerful and so amazing that he even raises the dead. Indeed, we have this so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead.
When things are hard, we can turn to God. That's actually what he wants. He wants us to turn to him. And the thing, there's this kind of option in these moments. To turn away from God because of the suffering or turn to God. And there are people who turn away and there are people who turn to. But God can use these things that Satan would use or the world would use or whatever would use to take us away from God to make us rely on him ever more strongly. Rabbit two or two rabbits, second rabbit trail. One of the things I see happening in when we encourage people in variously come into these trials, they face those decisions, turn to God or turn away God. And there's a lot of people who do turn to God in these situations. But there's a group or there's, I've seen this and it's, I don't know exactly what to think about it. And so that's why it's this little rabbit trail in my mind. Something I call catastrophic Christianity. People who only turn to God when there's a catastrophe. When there's that moment, when there's that event and they, they turn to God and they, they pray to God and they want you to pray to God. And then all of a sudden, like all events in life, they get better and all of a sudden they turn away from God until the next catastrophe comes and they turn back towards God and then things get better and they turn away from God. And they, they sit there kind of spinning like a fidget spinner, you know, when it's bad, they turn to God. When it's good, they turn away and they sit there and spin and spin and spin and they never go one way or the other. They just kind of sit in the middle and go round and round and round towards God when it's bad, away from God when it's good. And that concerns me. I'm not sure exactly what to think, but I am gravely concerned that they just never seem to progress either further in God or away. And it reminds me of this verse. I know your deeds that you were neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were cold or hot. Because you're lukewarm, you're neither hot nor cold. I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you sit there and never make a decision, but spin round and round and round. And these things that that are happening in your life that could bring you to me, they bring you part way. But then then you forget and you're gone. And so that should concern us that we do allow this to move us ever more dependent upon God. The third good God can make from suffering. God can be given glory even in the midst of suffering. Verse 11 says, so that thanks may be given by many persons. That we're going to be comforted, we're going to be delivered, we're going to be taken care of, so that thanks may be given by by many persons on behalf of favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. We all love answered prayers. We love to hear how God does miracles when we pray. Can you imagine if we lived in a world where there were no prayer requests? I mean, if we had nothing to pray about, ever... And therefore, we never got to hear how God answered prayers. What part of your Christian walk would be missing just because you can't hear how God did this miracle and how God did this miracle and how God did this miracle, how God answered this prayer and how people can share. I feel your prayers. I mean, think about how many of our conversations center in this place on God's answered prayers and how we give thanks and we praise God. If we didn't have all that. God uses all that suffering and evil to gain glory for himself because he answers our prayers. And we need to be diligent to make sure we give the thanks on the backside. 
We, we're real good at asking. We just need to make sure we are always being consistent in the follow-up. Thanks be to God. Praise the Lord because he's done this thing again and that we're always careful to do that. God deserves thanks always, even when things aren't going the way we want them to. This kid note led me to my third rabbit for the day. I know some of you probably didn't have your country music moment in your life. There was a moment in my life where I had my country music moment. and Maybe if you did have your country music moment, it wasn't this same guy. So I put the quote and his name up there just in case you don't recognize him. This is Garth Brooks. And he wrote a song back in the day, back in my country music moment. It says, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Remember when you're talking to the man upstairs that just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he doesn't care. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. My rabbit trail, the thought that occurs to me, is there such a thing as an unanswered prayer? Because I actually don't believe there is. I kind of know what Gar's getting at here, but I believe all answered, all prayers are answered. The problem is God like my dad, gives me the answer I don't want. No. My dad was good at saying that. Or at least it seemed to say it a whole lot. And then he would say, now you have your answer. As an example of what I'm talking about, these two books, which I would highly recommend... Fox's Books of Martyrs and Jesus Freaks by written by DC Talks is two books comprised of the martyrs of the faith. People who found themselves in tremendous suffering at the hand of tremendous evil. And they had people praying for them and they were praying themselves. And to be quite honest with you, the end of their stories were probably not ever what we would have prayed for. We wouldn't have asked for the results that happen in these places. But God seemed fit to say no. But when I read their stories and when I hear the accounts of faith that these people had, I sit there and go, to God be the glory. Amazing how people will dedicate their lives, give their lives, sacrifice their lives, lay it all on the altar for God. Like the man in our movie today where the bullets are flying over my head. I don't care the cost. I will go. Was he praised? Maybe. Was his God honored? Definitely. That people would have such faith. And so sometimes in the situations that we suffer, some of the times when we get no's, it's for God's glory no matter what. That he's doing something good. So we need to be careful to think about when we pray, not only to thank God for the answered prayers, for when it goes the way we want it to, but when it goes the way it needs to go, that we can trust in a God who's doing good even when we can't see it. But if we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. See, Paul didn't even seem, in verse 6, Paul didn't even seem to care which way it went. If we're afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort. So it says, if we're afflicted or we're comforted, it doesn't matter as long as God gets the glory. Paul seems open to either case in this situation, and he sees good in both. And so when we pray and when we give thanks to God for prayers, we should say, thank you for this yes, thank you for this yes, thank you for this yes. Oh, 
And thank you for no's, this no, and this no, and this no. Maybe I see already you've granted me the ability to see what you're doing in that. Thank you for that. And Father, I can't see how this results in any kind of good. But I trust an omnipotent, loving Father to make something good happen out of this mess. And you have my faith. To you be the glory forever and always. If nothing else, you will give me something that I can comfort someone else with. That I can walk in their lives and let a miracle happen. To God be the glory.